Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. One of the dominant news stories over the last few days has been that surrounding what some are already called in Farmgate. And that is, of course, Arthur Fraser, former spy boss, having laid a criminal complaint with the police alleging that President Sol Ramaphosa has been involved in covering up a whole series of events that had happened in 2020 at his farm in Limpopo, where there was an alleged theft of foreign currency related to his business as a farmer who trades in animals and hunting and all sorts of other things. And at the core of this is not just the theft itself, but the allegation that possibly, possibly we should say, that the president might have been involved in flouting all sorts of regulations with regards to Forex, the Prevention of Corrupt Activities Act, etc. There are legal issues and non-legal issues. Professor Pierre de Foss, well-known South African academic and commentator at UCT in the law faculty, also runs an excellent blog that is an intersection between law and society in terms of its content, has written what I thought was a very lucid entry this morning on some of the legal questions, just framing them crisply and then ending it with a short note on the non-legal issues. And I asked Pierre to give me 10 to 15 minutes of his time just as an explainer piece of journalism to walk through some of the questions, mindful of the fact that there are factual gaps that need to be settled in the weeks and months to come. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on Eusebius on Times Live. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Eusebius, for having me. Let's literally walk through some of the legal issues, and then we'll end with the non-legal questions that the president cannot avoid either. But in the first instance, I'm interested in the law. The buying and selling of goods that may involve, let's say, for example, US dollars or other foreign currency is governed by regulations. What are the most important of those that, as a lawyer, comes up for you as you are watching this new story unfold? Yeah. So normally, foreign currency is not legal tender in South Africa. So you you you're not normally you cannot use dollars to go to the spa and buy a bread. Um, and because this, you need special permission to from the treasury, but that power has actually been delegated to the Reserve Bank to do that. 
Um, the, it's, it's very murky, the regulations, because the regulations also say they must be read with all rulings, uh, decisions, discretionary exercise of power made by the people who apply this. So we don't actually know necessarily all the exemptions. We do know that if you're in the tourist industry, if you're a hotel or a bed and breakfast uh, mm -hmm. or whatever, you could apply for permission to be paid in dollars, but then you must also promise to report this um, uh, uh, to hold um, proper accounting uh, of, of this and to pay all the foreign currency to a forex trader within 24 hours. Um, and then there are some other exceptions um, for import, export, and so mm -hmm. on. Um, but apart from that, it it would be, as we all know, South African be rather odd uh, for for any of us to have like hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars in my house because it's, what am I going to do with it? Because um, I, if I have it, then I also have an obligation to return it to the authorized traders, the forex traders, um, and of course to explain where I got that particular money. That is very interesting. You correctly preface your blog entry by saying that a lot of the facts are unclear and no doubt will be contested. And for the moment, we're trying to state the law. And as the matter gets investigated, hopefully we'll have some illumination of what the true or even the probable facts are. One of the aspects of the law that you've just mentioned, but I want to lift it further to the surface, is that not only must you be, in terms of the currency and exchange guidelines that you quote from, be in the business like an agent, hotel or restaurant of operating effectively within the tourism industry, um, and not only must you, as you've already stated, within the next business day, sell what you have been given in dollars to an authorized forex dealer, but also this caught my attention. You quote from the same legal source saying that in terms of the record of transactions, quote, these must also be kept and be available for inspection by the Financial Surveillance Department. That's interesting, isn't it? Because what it means is, and I don't want to be speculative about the factual side that I've mm -hmm. now twice said is not clear, but what it does seem to mean on a plain reading, Pierre, is that it's going to be very hard for the President to tell us if initial reports are anything to go by, why reconciliation of the accounting is only happening now. Yes, so the, the, it is goes without, it's without any doubt that if you're going to do transactions in a foreign currency in South Africa, you have to keep meticulous, um, notes of these and it needs to be reported to the relevant authority and the forex needs to be, um, uh, sold back basically to a, a authorized forex dealer because the owner of uh, foreign um, currency, the person who's control of it is the reserve bank. So mm -hmm. you might have it for a bit, but you are, you don't necessarily have a right, um, um, to keep it, which, and I think there's another rule for South Africans who go abroad. If they come back, 
if you have more than a certain amount of forex in your possession, 20,000 or something like that, um, you have an obligation to immediately go and give it, uh, you know, sell it back to the forex trade. I found it interesting that these regulations are deemed so critical to the integrity of the flows of money and presumably the economy at large by implication that flouting it is regarded as a criminal offense that could cost you potentially if you found guilty having to fork out a fine of up to a quarter million rand or even imprisonment yeah. up to five years that means these are not trivial matters um, it, they are not considered trivial matters. Uh, some of those regulations, because they are quite vague, might be open to constitutional challenge in the sense that criminal sanctions need to be precise, it needs to be easy to understand what they are, and so on. But um, the legislature, uh, when they made the act passed, wait for it, 1933, <laughs> and the regulations in 1961, uh, some of it amended, um, but still, it's it's serious. In the law reports, I went to check most of the cases that come up deals with uh, a situation in which somebody has this forex in their possession, and then they go to Oartambo, and th there they are caught with a hundred thousand dollars in their suitcase, and then it is impounded, and then there's a whole court case about it. Um, so there are not many cases, I think, where people are prosecuted for having like. Fifty or twenty thousand uh, dollars under their mattress, or <laughs> whatever piece of furniture they are hiding it in. Um, uh, yes, but uh, the legislature does seem uh, to have taken it uh, to be a serious offence. Uh, okay, so that deals very neatly then with this fascinating issue of the buying and selling of U.S. dollars. There's a term that a lot of South Africans have become familiar with during state capture. This news item gives us an opportunity to have another go at explaining to the average South African, myself included, what the precise legal meaning of it is. Arthur Fraser alleges that the mere possession mm. of these US dollars on the part of the president constitutes on the face of it money laundering. Mm. What is money laundering and is he correct? Yes. So, so I think it's a bit strong, too strongly put to say that there's a prima facie case of money laundering just because the person owns, uh, dollars. Um, money laundering is, uh, when money comes from an unlawful source, it was stolen through corrupt means or whatever. And then you act in a way with that money or agree that the money would be paid, say, into your account and then you move it to somewhere else to hide the source, to hide that the money comes from a corrupt criminal um, source, from a criminal action. Um, and you have to do so, you have to receive the money with uh, the intent or you should reasonably have known that the money is is coming from a corrupt source. Um, okay. I'm saying that in this case, the the prima facie uh, um, it may might not be uh, might be overstated because the president has offered a counter explanation. He said he sold game or whatever animals, um, uh, which is mm. you know there might be issues with selling it in dollars, um, but that 
does not necessarily that that put into question factually, and we don't know yeah. what the facts are. Whether this is from an unlawful source, we also don't know um, what happened to the money. The money wasn't stolen to to money laundering. So, so the facts mm. don't really. With the facts that even Mr. Fraser has provided us, it is not clear that the it, the source of the money is criminality and that the president then dealt with it in a way to hide its original source. It might be, but the facts is not that clear at this point. Yeah, the putative facts. Mm. The following hypothetical is therefore a real possibility. Tell me whether I'm correct, because this will be a summation of my understanding of the two legal terms or the two bits of legal concepts that you have explained. It is presumably possible to flout the regulations and the guidelines related to currency and forex and even be fined or imprisoned for it, but not be guilty of money laundering per se. Yes, that is correct. If you if you didn't act with that money uh, to show intention that you are hiding its source, yeah, and, and that the source is criminal, now it doesn't have to be money. It cannot necessarily be money. Last legal question. I mean, this one is particularly. I mean, this would be the end of the president if this was factually true. So again, this is an allegation. It is not a fact that has been established. But if the alleged criminals who did the actual stealing, including the domestic worker, were each paid 150,000 rand. Mm-hmm. It's quite interesting, isn't it? You don't have an obligation to go to the police office ordinarily if you know there's a break-in at your house. But if if you say to someone else, please don't come clean about what happens and just shut up about the whole affair, including about your own criminality, which is weird, and I'll give you 150,000 rand to not talk to anyone about what happened here. Um, is that an economic crime? Is it some other kind of offense to, to do that? Yeah, so there are two issues here, serious. The one I didn't mention in my um, article, um, and I was reminded of it only by some uh, colleague, and that is that the Prevention and Combating of Corrupt Activities Act, Section 34, says that if you in a position of authority and you knew or ought to have known that there was corruption or theft of more than, I think, 100,000, you have a legal obligation to report it. If you don't, you're committing a criminal offense. Oh. It is one of the lesser charges on which Ace Magashula is being prosecuted, and that is why he completely falsely claimed that he's being charged for not uh, looking um, more mm. closely at the people under mm. So that's a first issue, that <laughs> there, there's an issue there. But then secondly, if uh, in a, a factual, if the factual matrix is, is such that people were paid not to do something that normally one would expect uh, the, uh, um, the 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 mores of society that kind of thing expect somebody to do report something a crime to the police um, or not doing it because uh, to try and make sure that the police don't find out what happened actually happened it is probably uh, in 
in uh, contravention of section of the Corruption Act, which says that if you give a benefit to somebody else uh, with the intention to get them to do or not to do something, um, and the wording, it is very broad, our Corruption Act, and one, one of the uh, phrases is something like to do something that is... Um, uh, now I've forgotten exactly the wording, but it's almost like unacceptable that uh, um, um, uh, un, yeah, uh, uh, but something that, as a society, basically we agree this is not this is something that you ought to do, and you persuade somebody not to do it, um, then it is a criminal offence. The, there are other provisions, but they relate to persuading people not to testify in a criminal trial and before court. They are linked to court procedures. Yeah. Um, it could also be perhaps, but I haven't really looked into that, uh, defeating the ends of justice, but for that they might have to have already an investigation in progress. Yeah, because um, I was interested in that because okay. you wrote in your piece Section 3B4 of the PCCA, Prevention and Combating of Corrupt Activities Act, seems to be the provision most likely to apply in a situation as alleged here. The section prohibits any person from directly or indirectly offering or giving money to somebody else in a manner that amounts to an unauthorized or improper inducement to do or not to do anything. And I find that kind of interesting because... Usually with corruption, colloquially speaking, I think to myself, yeah. yeah, but, you know, there must be an obvious direct benefit to the guy. What if his motive yeah. is as seemingly frivolous, it's politically interesting, mm-hmm. but I would have thought legally frivolous as, ish, I just don't want the lust of dealing with a media discussion about what happened mm. at my house. Um, yes, so the the motive with these kind of things is not really relevant, except to the extent that it might show the intention. Um, but um, the and in any case, in in our law, corruption is you don't have to offer or give somebody a, a benefit with the intention of getting thing, them to do something for you. It can be for the benefit of a third person. So if I want to bribe you, I can bribe you and say you have to interview the Guptas and make them look well. Yes. It has nothing to do with me. Maybe the Guptas gave you the money behind yeah. uh, your back. But, not, but not a direct yeah, it, I yeah. will still be guilty of a criminal offense of yeah. corruption. Yeah. Let's end, Pierre, with something that you headlined at the beginning of your blog entry, but I think it's important and I was really delighted to see you go there because I like your social commentary and as you know, I often try and tease you out beyond your legal public education work because how the law enmeshes with the social and the political is critically important in our country rather than treating the law to use pretentious legalese as sui generis. The law is important insofar as it impacts society and you end almost wistfully on something that I think is really an important note to strike, which is to say there are two courts. There's the court of law, there's the court of public opinion. The president is opening up a trust deficit here that may grow. And although on balance he's been a media darling, as the indices about how the state is looking, the economy, for example, continues to worsen and our direct experiences of the state are absolutely horrible. Uh, In that context, the president needs to pay attention to public perception in relation to what is played out here, doesn't it? 
Yes. So the, the, there are two issues for me. The first one is, um, that when we talk about the court of public opinion, people are com- uh, profoundly dishonest about it. So if you're a Jacob Zuma supporter, you will say it's not, you're not allowed to judge Jacob Zuma because he's innocent until proven guilty. Um, wrongly uh, or misstating the right that somebody has to be tried by somebody who will presume them innocent. There's no right to be presumed innocent by the public if you're a politician. Um, and so it is absurd now that all the Zuma supporters are not saying that President Ramaphosa is innocent until proven guilty. They are using exactly the opposite principle that they normally invoke. And so I wanted to make the point that no matter who it is, there is uh, judgments that are made, assessments that are made by ordinary people uh, if you get embroiled in this kind of thing, if you're a public figure. And you to claim innocent until proven guilty is an absurdity. It's an insult to our intelligence. Um, and if you're a politician, if you're the president, you need to take note of this. Jacob Zuma has been brilliant at it because he has made what is a catastrophic um, situation for himself by making himself into a martyr and alleging all kinds of dark conspiracies that he never actually provided details for. He has gotten, he got enough people on his side to hang on to power for nine years. Cyril uh, Raposa, I don't think, has that kind of wits about it. The second point um is that um the the difficulty with um the public opinion is and that's why i'm also slightly ambivalent about it is that uh, i'm always worried that people do not actually assess the facts the claims that are being made in a responsible in a considered manner so so if it is an accusation against Jacob Zuma, his uh, critics are going to just accept it to be true. If it's an accusation against Russell Ramaphosa, the people who hate Cyril Ramaphosa are going to take it as an absolute gospel truth. And so one has to be a little bit careful. Um, at the same time, just because it hasn't been proven in the court of law doesn't mean that one should. Um, one shouldn't. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with you as a wearing, wearing my hat now as a political analyst. Can I just end by asking you this extra question? And I really hope that government spokespersons and politicians and state officials and newsmakers more generally, even if they're not in those categories, will listen to your answer here very, very, very closely. The president did that thing that I really hate as a citizen of saying the matter is under investigation. And as I said in a piece on Times Life uh, yesterday, it's a variation on its more pretentious cousin. The matter is subjudice. But in the Midi case in the Supreme Court of Appeal, it was made very clear that this only applies to instances where what you're about to say or engage on is a real and substantial risk of prejudice to pending proceedings. And it really rubs me the wrong way um, when I hear people trying to evade accountability by misstating the subjudicate rule or pretending there's a legal obligation to shut up once there's a complaint laid with the police. What does the law say? 
No, the law says um, you have every right to speak um, about a matter that is being investigated. There has never been any rule in South African law that you cannot talk about something being investigated or a matter that is before the courts. The only thing is that you cannot engage with it in such a way that there will be a reasonable possibility that the person, uh, that the witnesses or the the presiding officer will be influenced uh, wrongly uh, by your intervention. So if you're going to protest outside the judge's uh, chamber that, and you sh or you, you shout things at the judge and say he's a biased, he's captured, whatever, that might be uh, inf inf influencing or limiting or uh, uh, breaching the subjudicator, otherwise not. In our system, if a politician or the spokesperson say it's subjudicate, the matter is under investigation, we can't comment. What I hear is we have a lot to hide and we are using this as an excuse. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. And I really hope my fellow media workers, reporters in particular, hear what Pierre has just said so that you don't move on to the next question when a spokesperson says that but you call their bluff and tell them that they are absolutely wrong and that they're not on strong legal ground when they assert a rule that does not actually exist. Pierre, Lucid, great public education. Love your work. Thanks for coming on the platform. Okay, thanks, Steve.